Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're heading back to Thursday, the 8th of July, 1965. That was the day that Sir Ernest Fisk, the man remembered as the supreme ruler of the Australian Wireless, passed out of this life and into the great beyond. While he's largely forgotten today, Sir Ernest deserves to be remembered because he was a visionary who, from the early 20th century, saw and helped make the world we live in now. Ernest Fisk was born in August 1886 in Middlesex, England. The son of a builder, he went to local schools but didn't go to university. Instead, he got his training as one of England's first wireless telegraph operators. But young Ernest's real education came from a genuine scientific genius, Giulielmo Marconi, the Italian-born radio pioneer and inventor of the wireless telegraph. From 1906, Ernest studied with and worked for Marconi and became one of the great man's most promising protégés. He worked the Marconi apparatus in the radio room of several ocean liners, including one voyage where each night Rudyard Kipling would come and have a chat with him. By 1909, Ernest was promoting the equipment at the head offices of shipping companies. He came to Australia in this capacity in 1910 and fell in love with the place. Three years later, having cannily secured the rights to Marconi's patents and to those of rival German company Telefunken, Ernest founded Amalgamated Wireless Australasia, AWA, which would in the first half of the 20th century be one of Australia's biggest companies. Ernest had fallen in love with Australia and with a woman named Florence Chudley, who he married in Sydney in 1916, with a couple going on to have four sons. These boys would grow up in a Warunga house on Sydney's North Shore, where their dad's scientific marvels were just the backdrop to their daily life. Back in 1918, scientists believed that radio waves had a range of maybe 2,000 miles. That'd mean you'd need half a dozen or so relay stations to broadcast a message from the UK to Australia. But Ernest Fisk and his old mate Marconi thought that was a bunch of pish posh. In the backyard of his Sydney suburban home, Ernest built a big platform and antenna connected to a receiver that used a valve he'd designed and built based on a similar one used by Marconi. In Carnarvon, Wales, Marconi set himself up and on the 22nd of September 1918, the Italian sent a Morse code message from Australian Prime Minister Billy Hughes, who was in England at the time. This very first wireless message to Australia said, quote, I have just returned from a visit to the battlefields where the glorious valour and dash of the Australian troops saved Amiens and forced back the legions of the enemy. Filled with greater admiration than ever for these glorious men and more convinced than ever that it is the duty of their fellow citizens to keep these magnificent battalions up to their full strength. You've got to hand it to Billy Hughes who'd tried twice to get conscription through for being on message with his first ever wireless message. 
Less than a year later, on the 13th of August, Ernest Fisk made the first wireless broadcast in Australia during a lecture at the Royal Society of New South Wales in Elizabeth Street, using telephones to receive gramophone music played about 100 yards away in Clarence Street. As the Sun newspaper recorded, quote, The music was clearly audible in all parts of the hall, and the lecture was closed with the audience standing while the national anthem was played by wireless telephone. From the 1920s on, AWA went from strength to strength. It was a leading manufacturer of radios and ran commercial radio stations. In 1926, the company established a beam wireless receiver and transmitting station outside of Melbourne, with this site known as Fiskville. The following year, the company set up a permanent radio telegraph service between Australia and Britain, and in 1930, the company inaugurated the first radio telephone service between the two countries. In 1937, Ernest Fisk was made a knight and got to put Sir in front of his name. Just as he was known by everyone in Australia, so too was the fact that AWA literally towered over other Australian businesses. The same year that he became a knight, AWA began construction on its Sydney headquarters under Ernest's direction. Finished two years later, the 12-storey skyscraper, which was topped by a radio tower, stood 112 metres, and it would be the tallest building in Australia for the next 20 years. Though dwarfed by its neighbours these days, it's still a magnificent piece of architecture. While a scientific genius and astute businessman and a clever self-promoter, Ernest was also a genuine eccentric and a fitness freak at a time when public figures were often straight-laced and, well, pretty pudgy. Sir Ernest Fisk looked the part of the bonkers boffin, with a huge prematurely bald dome of a head that cartoonists absolutely delighted in drawing. Unlike a lot of British folk who emigrated to Australia, Sir Ernest considered himself a true blue native and even adopted a coat of arms that featured a kangaroo. The man's personal motto was Mensana incorpore sano. Usually translated from the Latin as healthy mind and a healthy body, Ernest said it actually meant for him fit and not too crazy. Stories about him confirmed that he really did live this way. He was said to have invented a sort of hanging bed so he could suspend himself in weightlessness and just while the hours away, thinking. Then there was the time he'd taken a bicycle on an ocean voyage so he could do laps of the deck. And as Ernest got older, he'd stick to those habits, even as a senior citizen plunging into icy waves at Sydney beaches in the middle of winter and riding his bicycle across the Harbour Bridge each day. Ernest was an eccentric and an original thinker who was unafraid to express his near-constant flow of ideas and beliefs about the future. In a radio broadcast in April 1935, he told listeners that wireless waves would eventually be used for cooking, heating and to cure diseases. Two years later, he said that, quote, at the risk of being dubbed a wild dreamer, he could foresee a time when microwave points on every street would provide on-tap radio and television broadcasts. Even his passion for bicycling wasn't just about fitness. It was about evolution and a sustainable future. He was quoted as saying, The paleontologists tell us that man used to walk on four legs. As he became more advanced, he used only two. Then the foolish fellow made motor cars and went around on four wheels. But the more advanced people used two. 
to a mid-20th century society increasingly building itself around the motor car, this was a cheeky attitude. But Sir Ernest meant it, and he said if more people rode bikes, they'd be fitter and happier, and Australia's infrastructure needs and costs would be substantially reduced. Another of his long-standing passions were the prospects of Australia using solar energy and desalinating seawater for irrigation. Ernest had even wilder ideas. After the first England-UK telephone calls, he was asked what was next. He said, television. But Ernest said that beyond television, we might develop telepathy. Writing in the Sunday Sun on the 4th of May 1930, he said, quote, My opinion is that on some far distant day, telepathy will perhaps do to wireless what wireless has done to cables. There can be no doubt that telepathy is a force of nature whose principles have yet to be discovered so that the force can be harnessed in a practical way. At present, telepathy is chiefly in the hands of the non-scientific. It remains for scientists to reduce it to a practical, everyday utility. And even then, mechanical means may be necessary before mind can speak to mind. If you think his far distant day is still far distant, try googling telepathy and technology and you'll see how those mechanical means are in sure but steady development by the likes of Facebook, who'd like to be able to read our minds so we can conveniently quote, type with our brains. In 1953, speaking to the Royal Commission on Television, Sir Ernest said a monopoly had to be avoided and that there was room on the VHF bandwidth for at least 100 stations. You've got to remember, this was three years before Australia had its first station in TCN9 in Sydney. In January 1956, Ernest predicted that within 20 years, suburban homes would be air-conditioned using solar power and that TV would be in worldwide use and in colour, but movies would still be going strong. Cars, he said, would be smaller and more two-wheeled vehicles would be in use. He predicted a world in which architects would design homes to make better use of climate and clothes would be made using self-cleaning fibres. While this last prediction sounds like a miss, try googling self-cleaning textiles to see where we're at with using nanotechnology to one day make doing laundry a thing of the past. Yet Sir Ernest's most controversial opinion came in February 1944, when in a lecture about the development of radio delivered to Legacy in Sydney, he included remarks in which he said radio might make it possible to communicate with the dead. A brouhaha ensued because it was misreported that he'd said the souls of the dead resided in the ionosphere. Sir Ernest, who'd remain an avid letter writer to newspapers right into his old age, took up his pen to set the record straight. He hadn't said any such thing about the ionosphere. As for the rest, he explained that as he was talking to Legacy, he'd speculated about what was happening to those dying in the fight against Germany and Japan. Quote, I referred to the large number of people suffering loss and anxiety on account of their relatives in this war. I said that I did not know whether the people who have passed from this earthly life are in another sphere of being, and I could not offer proof one way or the other. If, however, they are alive, then their existence must somehow be real and tangible. Ernest went on to explain that advances in radio communication, quote, lead me to the conjecture that if our departed friends are still alive, the difference between them and us might be that they exist in a different range of frequencies or vibrations. 
If my speculations should someday be found correct, I thought they might lead to scientific methods of piercing the veil and of communication between our sphere of life and theirs. Sir Ernest apparently also told friends that he had talks with Marconi after the latter's death in 1937. Though this comment, if true, would appear not to reference a two-way spirit radio conversation, but the sort of one-sided chats people have with deceased friends and family who they miss. Perhaps after Sir Ernest died at the age of 78 at his home in Roseville on the 8th of July 1965, he did get to pick up where he'd left off with his old friend and mentor. A lengthy obituary in the Sun-Herald remembered Ernest as, quote, the supreme ruler of the Australian wireless waves. Given how much we depend on wireless, I'd love to know what he thought of our wireless world. So, if anyone hears from Sir Ernest, let me know. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.